little girl, Dorothy, garden age, right along with her mama, and she saw some pipes coming up out of the ground. She said, Mama, see those pipes? Is that how the people in hell breathe? Her mama was puzzled about that. said, Honey, why do you ask that? She said, Mama, do you believe in hell? She said, Yes, I do. She said, Does everybody believe in hell? She said, Well, no, not everybody, but some people do. She said, Well, my teacher believes in hell. And she said, Really? What has your teacher been saying about that? She said, well, every morning when she gets up in front of the class, she says, inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. So, you know, sometimes we get words mixed up and we don't understand what a particular word means. We, we do that sometimes with the word church. You know, when we use the word church, a lot of times we're talking about a building. We're talking about a place where people go. But a church is not a building. Now this is, you might call it a church building, but this is not the church. The church is people. In fact, in the original Greek language, the word is ekklesia. It's translated church. And that word means, it's a compound word. It means out, ek, and kalise, or from the word kalo, means called. The word church means those that are called out. They're called out of the world. They're called into the kingdom of God. And that's what the church means. It's people. It's not a building. It's not a place you go. It's something that you are. You are part of the church. So the church is people. And today we're going to begin a series. And we call this... Uh, we call this series, um, The Church is Born. And it's about the book of Acts. And this, this uh, book of Acts records the first 30 years or so of the, uh, of the church and how it began. And so we're going to dive in and study that. And uh, we're going to ask a question today. How did the church begin? And, um, you know, the, the book of Acts is actually a record of that. Uh, it's, a, it's a record of those first 30 years or so that the apostles worked. And it, primarily it's about the lives of Peter and a, a man named Saul who became known as Paul. And it tells about the events that surrounded them as they spread the gospel message and spread the church in the known world in that day. Now, as Jeremiah mentioned, we gave you a reading plan last week. If you didn't get that, there's some available. It'll help you a lot if you'll read along. We're not going to cover every verse in the book of Acts, but we're going to hit the highlights as we go throughout this series this summer. And we'll be diving in and looking at many of the great stories of what happened in the early church. The word Acts, somebody asked the other day, where did they get that name for the book? And where it comes from is, in the early days, it was called the Acts of the Apostles. In other words, the deeds of the Apostles. And so over the years, it's just been shortened to the word Acts. 
So we're going to think about the church today. If you have your Bible, you might want to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. Uh, of course, there's an outline of the message in your bulletin there on the back page. Luke is the author of Acts. He's also the author of the Gospel of Luke. He was a physician. He was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, in fact, there's some places in Acts where you have what we call the we passages, where Acts uses the word we, and he's talking about me and the Apostle Paul and some other people. So he was an eyewitness to many of these facts. In the intro to his book, The Gospel of Luke, he says there that uh, he had carefully investigated all of the events that he recorded, and he set out to write an orderly account. Uh, you'll notice as you read, Luke pays great attention to detail. Uh, he addressed both of those uh, books to a man named Theophilus. And that word actually means friend of God. But Theophilus was probably the man that financed the publishing of that book. You remember they didn't have printing presses, so they had to pay somebody to write and copy those uh, books down in the early days. So Luke begins in chapter 1. Uh, we'll summarize the first part here. He tells about Jesus appearing to the apostles over the period of 40 days. And he spoke to them, it says, about the kingdom of God. And he told them, he said, don't leave Jerusalem. I want you to wait here. The Holy Spirit's going to come. It's going to come on you. And then you're going to know what to do. And so they asked him, they said, Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said, well, the dates and times are not for you to know. He really didn't answer their question because he wasn't going to just restore the kingdom of Israel. He's going to restore the kingdom of God. It's going to be much greater than just Israel. And so as they were, they were listening to him, Jesus gave them, this in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it says after he told them that, he was taken up to heaven. So here the apostles are left uh, wondering sort of what they are going to do. What I want you to see first is that Jesus left the apostles with instructions. It was simple. Not everything he said to them was recorded. It does say he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, so he gave them more information. Now, back in Luke, the last chapter, verse 24, it says he opened their minds so they could understand the Scripture. So they had a great deal of understanding. But he told them to wait in Jerusalem. Wait. The Holy Spirit's going to come. So you just go wait. I'm sure they were thinking, now when's he going to take over? When's he going to become the Messiah, the Christ, the King? When, when's he going to build this nation back up and, and be prominent once again? But the plan was different. I suppose when that Spirit came, it did help them to understand exactly what he was going to do. But he told them they were going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria 
and to the ends of the earth. That, that's sort of an outline of the book of Acts. It was going to start there in the local city where the temple was in Jerusalem. It was going to spread to a, a, a wider area, a regional type spreading. And then it would even go to the ends of the earth. It would go all over the world. But their main instructions were to wait. Don't you hate to wait? Go to the doctor's office. John, I'm sorry. Anybody have to wait at the doctor's office? Go to the dentist. You have to wait. You go, you have as many women living in your house as I do. You have to wait. Sometimes you just have to wait. The apostles were patient. They waited. But look at what happened uh, as, as they waited. There in verse 14, it says in verse 12 that uh, they went back to the room, the upper room where they'd been staying. It gives the names of the 11 apostles that were with them. Verse 14 says, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Now, Peter goes on to tell them, look, we need to replace Judas. He's dead. He's gone. Quotes some scripture. Verse 21 says, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up for us. For once, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So what I want you to see next is they were given some instructions, but the apostles prayed and organized as they obeyed those instructions. They waited. It says they were constantly in prayer. And they, they sort of got organized. They realized we're down one apostle. Let's appoint an apostle. There's a whole group of people there with them, some 120 people, uh, and named some of them the apostles, the 11. Uh, there were other men. There were women. The mother of Jesus was there. I can imagine Mary Magdalene was there. It says Jesus' brothers were there. He had four brothers. Uh, maybe the apostles, some of them had wives. Maybe children were there. They decided to replace Judas. After a lot of praying, they figured out who that was going to be. Uh, they chose two candidates and then drew lots to figure out which one. Joseph, sometimes called Barabbas, sometimes called Justice, it says. And another guy, Matthias, they chose Matthias. I guess it was Joseph had too many names. So they chose Matthias to replace Judas. But you know, they were waiting. They were ready. They were prayed up. They were expecting that Holy Spirit to come. I wonder, do we expect it? Do we expect the Holy Spirit to show up? To show up and make a difference in something? Maybe you're contemplating something, you're worried about something, you've been praying to God. Do you expect the Spirit to come and bring confirmation to you? 
Maybe you're struggling with a passage in the Bible, you don't understand it, and you're, you're thinking about it and trying to figure it out. Do you expect the Spirit to come and reveal to you? Maybe you got somebody you're praying for. Do you expect the Spirit to, to work on that person and go change that person? Do you expect the Spirit to give you power when you sign up to do a ministry? Do you expect the Spirit to go with you and guide you? Do you expect the Spirit to help you share the gospel with somebody that you know desperately needs to know Jesus? Do we expect the Spirit? I think these apostles were excited and waiting for that Spirit to come. And look at what finally happened. Go to chapter 2 now. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You see, it came. They expected it, and it came on them. I like what William Barclay says in his commentary on the book of Acts. We may not know precisely what happened on the day of Pentecost, but we know that it was one of the supremely great days of the Christian church. For on that day, the Holy Spirit came to the Christian church in a very special way. Acts has been called the gospel of the Holy Spirit. So before we turn to a detailed consideration of its second chapter, let's take a general view of what Acts has to say about the Holy Spirit. It is perhaps unfortunate that we often speak of the events of Pentecost as coming of the Holy Spirit, as the coming of the Holy Spirit. The danger is that we might think that the Holy Spirit came into existence at that time, but that's not so. God is eternally Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, Acts makes that quite clear. The Holy Spirit was speaking through David, as is recorded in Acts 1.16. The Spirit spoke through Isaiah, as is recorded in Acts 28-25. Stephen accuses the Jews of having, all through their history, opposed the Spirit. Acts 7:51, he says they resisted the Spirit. In that sense, the Spirit is God in every age, revealing His truth to men. At the same time, something special happened at Pentecost. Something special did happen at Pentecost. Notice, the Holy Spirit filled the apostles for ministry. You know, the, the Jews celebrated three main holy days. Now, they had others, but there were three main ones. If you were a Jewish male and you lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem, you were required to come to the temple three times a year on those holy days. First was Passover. That's at the time when Jesus was crucified. Then there's this holy day, Pentecost. It was 50 days after the Sabbath that came after the Passover feast. Uh, it was, it, and then there was the Day of Atonement, the third holy day. 
Now this Pentecost is seven weeks plus one day after the Sabbath day of, of, uh, of, of Passover. So it's 50 days. And it was a time when they celebrated the harvest that was to come. They also celebrated the giving of the law to Moses at this time. It's only fitting that the Holy Spirit would come on this day of Pentecost and enable these apostles to break forth in this new teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now it says here that the apostles and those other believers were all together. And this sound, this, uh, this, this wind, this violent wind, some translations say the, the rushing of the wind. I can imagine it was a swoosh. And here comes the Holy Spirit. It also says that it looked like fire came and touched the apostles. And they began to speak, it says, in tongues. That word can mean languages. At any rate, they went out into the streets of Jerusalem. They began to preach and tell of the good news of Jesus. Uh, and the amazing thing is there were people from so many different nations that came from all over the world and they were able to hear the apostles speaking in their own language. The Spirit enabled that. The people asked, what does this mean? Some people said, well, those guys are drunk. They, they, they were filled with the Spirit. They weren't drunk on wine. They were drunk with the Spirit. And Peter stood, and he began to preach a sermon. The first recorded gospel sermon we have. And as he begins to address the crowd, he quotes a bunch of Scripture. He says, look, God said he was going to pour out his Spirit on his people one day. And he said, Jesus, listen, this guy did miracles and he did signs and wonders that accredit him, that showed who he was. He goes on to say, he was crucified. You people put him to death. But he raised from the dead. And the scriptures have pointed to the fact that he was going to raise from the dead. And then in verse 36, he says this. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And in verse 37, it says, the people were cut to the heart. They believed. And they asked Peter, what must we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. And that day, 3,000 people repented and were baptized, and the church was born. The apostles went public, and the church has been going ever since. 3,000 people baptized, 3,000 received the Holy Spirit, and the church has carried on ever since that day. And you think about it, despite all the opposition, the persecution, Corruption, the mismanagement, the pressures from the outside, the internal strife. Kings and killers have come against the church, but it has survived. And look at what happened to this early group 
of people that established that first church there in Jerusalem. Verse 42. <clears throat> they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The last thing I want you to see is the church expanded as they engaged in certain activities. I use that word engaged on purpose because that's our three-year plan is engaged. And look at what they were engaged in. You know, we said our plan is to engage Jesus, to engage the Bristol community, and to engage the next generation to build up the church. They did the same thing. But look at how it breaks down. First, they were worshiping together. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They were worshiping together. Everybody came together in large groups at the temple. They came together in small groups from house to house. They studied the Bible. They ate food together. You know, that's what we want as a church. We want to be a church where everybody comes together for the corporate worship. We enjoy each other's company. We enjoy praising God. But we want to meet in small groups too. I hope you have a small group that you attend, that you found one of our many groups. If you haven't, see me or one of the other ministers. We'll be glad to help you find the right small group. Notice, secondly, they were growing spiritually. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So they were coming together. Uh, they were soaking up the apostles' teaching. Uh, they didn't have the New Testament yet, but they got it straight from the apostles. And they were devoted. That means they were committed. They, they prayed. And they fellowshiped together. So they were, a, they were a lively bunch. And they were concerned about understanding what God wanted in their lives. Thirdly, they were serving humbly. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So they served. They were involved in the community. They were getting out and sharing the message, doing ministry, sharing good news. I wonder, have you found your niche yet to serve in the church? There's a place for everybody, and God wants everybody to serve. So they were serving humbly. They were giving cheerfully, verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, that doesn't mean we're supposed to sell all of our property and, and just give it all away. They didn't, everybody didn't sell it. They still had homes where they met in. 
So they didn't sell everything. But it says they did some sold stuff. People were giving generously. It's obvious that they were cheerful, that they were doing it. They wanted to meet the needs of people who were in need. They wanted to put a good light on this church, on, on the, the message that God had, had brought. Fifthly, they were living faithfully. Chapter, verse 47, they were praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, they were constantly praising God in their homes, in public. They were living for Christ out in the community. And the church grew. It grew spiritually. It grew in number because the Spirit was working. You see, these people were engaged and they were excited. And the Holy Spirit worked in them. It worked through them. It worked around them as the church expanded in those days. You know, what does a devoted disciple look like? Well, here it is. They worship together. They grow spiritually. They serve humbly. They give cheerfully. They live faithfully. And God works in that as people are led by the Holy Spirit. Well, here's our connection today. The first church begins with the Spirit's power and gives us a pattern to follow. You know, God moved in a mighty way. That, that Spirit moved in people. It moved through people. God used willing people to spread His message and build His church. They gathered in large groups. They gathered in small groups. And the people were devoted, and they worshiped, and they grew, and they served, and they gave, and they lived out their faith in public. This week, I learned something I'd never, I don't think I'd ever learned this before. But some years ago, in 1953, in Egypt, they announced plans to build a dam on the, on the Nile River. That finally came to fruition and was finished in 1970. It was a huge dam, 370 feet tall, 11,000 feet across it. It had 12 turbines that produced power. It was enough power to, to light up all of Egypt. It was an amazing feat, this dam that they had they dedicated that in 1971 and fired up those turbines to go to work producing power. But during the time when they were building that, they did not stop the river Nile from flowing. In fact, many people downstream depended on that river. They, they used that river for fishing. They used that river to wash their clothes. They used that river to get drinking water. You know, the poor country folk depended on that river, Nile, to provide for them food and water and life. They sailed boats on it. While they even wrote songs about it. John Piper says this, But on the day when the reservoir poured through the turbines, a power was unleashed that spread far beyond 
a few folks downriver and brought possibilities they had only dreamed of. Well, Pentecost, he says, is like the dedicatory opening of the Aswan High Dam. Before Pentecost, the river of God's Spirit blessed the people of Israel. It was their life. But after Pentecost, the power of the Spirit spread out to light the whole world. None of us, none of the benefits enjoyed in pre-Pentecost days were taken away. But 10 billion kilowatts were added to enable the church to take the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ to every tongue and tribe and nation. God has set us up for success in the church through his Holy Spirit. And God gives that same Holy Spirit to Central Christian Church. And Christians everywhere, if they'll tap in and take advantage of that Spirit and worship and grow and serve and give and live, We'll see a vibrant church, and we'll take back our country. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit and the way he works, Lord. He uses ordinary, everyday people to fill them for power, for ministry, to serve, to grow, and all these things, Lord, that you might be glorified. Help us to be a church filled with that spirit, Lord, as we go about our business, not just in here on Sunday, but seven days a week as we're out in the community serving and loving and giving and worshiping. In the name of Jesus, I pray today.